This episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Saucy. Last time I had them uh, as an ad, I promised I'd sing a parody song, and I'm I'm here to um, make 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 that promise real. One two three four. 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 Because I'm saucy, clap along if you want alcohol delivered to your door. Because I'm saucy, clap along if you like no delivery fees, no minimums. Because I'm saucy, clap along if you know that alcohol can be delivered in 30 minutes. Because I'm sassy, clap along if you feel like staying in and ordering a drink. Uh, okay, thanks guys. Um, uh, I hope you like that. I hope, uh, I hope that sounded good. Um, to get alcohol delivered to your door and to save 10% on your order, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash saucy. That's boardwalkaudio.com forward slash saucy. S-A-U-C-E-Y. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast of the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardlockaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon and Nerlywood, and we get a little kickback. For the final episode of On Comedy Writing's March Madness, where I do the same sketch pitch in four different episodes in March, we have Scott Sherman. Scott's written for maybe, probably, definitely, the three biggest political comedy shows of all time in The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, and Last Week Tonight. So he's got a wealth of experience in political comedy, so it was cool to hear how things have changed since Trump became president. If you like this episode, check out our episodes with Josh Johnson, who currently works at The Daily Show, and Daniel Kibblesmith, who currently works at The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. So here is Scott Sherman. Uh, Scott, thanks for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? That is such a complicated question. <laughs> um, born in Philly, but then moved around a whole lot. Uh, Midwest, and uh, then... Southwest and East Coast, and then back to the Midwest, and eventually got here. Okay, nice. Yeah. Uh, what was it like, like moving around all the time? I think it was a good experience, just because I feel like I uh, I got to see how a lot of different kinds of people think and react. To yeah. Things. Yeah. I mean, I uh, lived in some places where I was, uh, you know. It was like very rich culture and a lot of diversity, and then I went to places where like I was the diversity, right? <laughs> um, because I was Jewish. <laughs> um, spoiler alert: there, uh, some of us comedy writers are Jewish, um, and uh, yeah. But New York, I feel like it's home now. Has mm-hmm. been. I think I've lived in New York longer than any other place. So. Stuck here for a while. Uh, when did you first get interested in comedy? Um, probably, like, really early on. I remember 
Uh, my grandpa giving me like probably way too young like Jackie Mason tapes. I think <laughs> I still have a cassette of uh, like really inappropriate stuff uh, that no seven year old should have had. Um, and then eventually getting really into like Python and Pryor and mm-hmm. Mel Brooks and uh, and so yeah. That's- very typical, like, yeah. early comedy writer influences. And uh, when you were a kid, did you ever, like, like perform anything comedy-related? Yeah. Um, I was doing improv for a long time um, in high school and then also moved to Chicago and uh, did improv in college there, but was also doing Second City, and then I ended up working at Second City for oh, cool. a while. Yeah. Um and, uh, yeah, so I was doing improv for a really long time, sketching improv, but then moved to New York and very quickly, like, just realized that I didn't want to perform anymore. <laughs> uh, right when, like, UCB was, uh, I mean, not when it was first starting at all, but uh, when it felt like the culture was in full swing in improv and it was really vibrant here, and I was like, did like ejecting from that community very quickly (laughs) what was uh second city like it was great i mean what i I kind of uh ended up do working in like every department there all through college uh just helping out some of the producers and then uh i got really involved in helping them doing their initial like archiving of all the scripts which was oh, really wow. great yeah it was a really great experience to be able to go through and just like view you know 50 years of of sketches and um yeah do you, do you remember a sketch specifically that you like archived that was like wow this is crazy um i mean a lot of the you know classics that people know were the ones that also blew me away. There yeah. wasn't, there wasn't like really rare, you know, B sides of. <laughs> it wasn't like going through records, uh-huh. you know, where you find deep cuts. Like the really good ones that stand out. Definitely museum piece and the early like Nichols and May stuff uh, were amazing. Um, and then I was all I was also archiving a lot of the old photos, and uh, I cool. ended up like. Working with a lot of people whose photos I was archiving. Oh, that's was, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you went to college in Chicago? Yeah, UFC. Uh, what U- did... University of Chicago. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, what was your major there? Oh, God. Uh, it's <laughs> so complicated and boring, and I'm like never supposed to talk about it. It's only at the UFC. It's incredibly pretentious. It it was called Fundamentals. Um, oh. Yeah. And I ended up, you apply with a question to the program. A very deep question that will propel you for, like, years of study. Um, and mine was about comedy. But then you sort of, like, look into your question through the lens of uh basically old dead white guy texts <laughs> like i wasn't i wasn't like oh one of my texts is is the life of brian like that yeah. doesn't fly it was like aristophanes and hmm. jonathan swift and 
Um, I read Aristophanes recently. Really? Um, yeah. You're for, just, just getting around to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, Aristophanes is very funny. Uh-huh. Uh, it was kind of interesting. It wasn't as it wasn't as bad. I thought it'd be very bad, but it wasn't as bad as I remember as I thought it would be. No, I mean one kind of funny thing, it, which is interesting when you read a lot of the old stuff, is uh, how filthy a lot of it is. Right. And for as much as you always think like comedy is evolving, and you know, jokes that we're hearing now are so much sharper than the stuff that. Uh, like in the 50s where you could get away with so much more because everything was new and like you realize there's this through line to comedy that has always been there and is not going away mm. and very often it's like filthy jokes which right. I love so well yeah Shakespeare of course is famously very, very filthy jokes mm-hmm. he was a dirty man yeah or was he a man at all that's true you don't know he was two men in a trench coat possibly for all you know We'll see. We'll find out. One day we're going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, what was your question? Oh, it was about... God. This is the worst stuff. Not because it's a totally valid question. Just because anytime I'm asked, I'm like... Uh, I turned into my most pretentious self, which is like really high up there. Uh, it was about just universi- universality in comedy. And can I tell a joke as an American oh, in see. the 21st century that somehow a Nigerian in the 3rd century right. would also find funny and mm-hmm. nobody ever has an answer. There's no yeah. answer. It's, it's, it's just... interesting. I think there's some jokes that you definitely can. Sure. Yeah. Um, but in general, probably not, I would say. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was, I want my tuition back. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get the answer my... My pretentious, stupid question. <laughs> uh, what prompted the move to New York? Um, so I was in Chicago, and I graduated college, and was hanging around for another year there. But I uh, got on the old uh, Onion contributor headline list, which I feel like at the time was a very small list of us. Uh, I know now it just seems like everybody has been on that list um but uh yeah i i i got accepted into that and you definitely didn't need to be in new york uh but i just felt like i want to be closer to it um Mm -hmm. i was i felt like i had outgrown chicago a little bit and so i started uh contributing Mm -hmm. and then eventually like i was paying my rent just selling headlines and uh just became part of the group that was doing like daily features like american voices and things like that and then um when onion video first started i know you've had like sam west on yeah right yeah um i feel like somebody else you probably had on as part of that core matt kleinman probably i never crossed paths with matt um but uh i work with a lot of people who have Mm -hmm. hi matt (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, it was sort of part of the original group there of writers from in video when I feel like they were just trying to figure out what it was. How did you get involved with the onion, especially from Chicago? Um, I, when I felt like, you know, I had really paid my dues at second city. Um, I went into a producer's office and I was like, 
I'm ready to make a move. I'm ready to, you know, do my thing. And I feel like they had already, they had paid me so little for so long that they felt like, all right, this is your one, like, marker you can turn in. Um, so they sent uh, this producer, um, Joyce Sloan, who was like the emeritus producer at that time. She was like, she's one of the best. Sadly passed away, but she was one of the best people I've ever met in my life. Um, sent my stuff on to uh, a manager who m- managed the Onion at the time and got in there. Slipped in, yeah. Uh, so you're in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working for the Onion. What was it like back then? So I wasn't going into the office oh, right, that yeah. often, mm-hmm. um, but you know I sort of made connections through that writing connections um and it was good like it was a small group of us who were working on the fringes of the onion i don't want to present myself as like i wasn't a staff writer or anything um you know i got the got the chance to write a couple of articles and things like that but it was i was never you know in there on a day-to-day basis at all um but it, it was fun uh i was there a lot um they, I was writing for a while, and then the they started writing the Atlas, and that was just this Herculean endeavor, and I feel like I ended up getting a lot into the paper during that time okay. because all the staff writers were like killing themselves to get That's that it, book yeah. at, so I might have probably benefited from that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a good time making comedy, and then. Um, through that, uh, Joe Garden, who was the features editor at the time, um, and I, we, and a couple of other contributors, we started writing books together that we like sold and turned mm-hmm. around really quick. And uh, so it definitely ended up benefiting me and took me in areas I didn't think I would ever be going into. What was like your process for coming up with headlines during that time? Just like don't let your fingers leave the keyboard just keep pumping out as many as many thoughts as you can and then like craft afterwards and make them you know technically viable um (laughs) but uh yeah it's a lot of like scanning around the internet and just looking around and being as observant as possible just to get some goddamn ideas because you got to write a ton every week (laughs) were there cases when you had like a really great headline but you couldn't figure out how to make it into an article or a video um well those headlines often just became just headlines (laughs) that that had no article uh, attached or anything like that i mean some of my favorite ones are those Mm -hmm. that i did um i feel like there was one that was one of was uh, it was around the time that like Bush was leaving office and it was just uh, uh, Bush comma this is the problem with always saying your onion headlines is like grammar and punctuation right. is a big part of it so it never sounds funny when you say it out loud but it was just like Bush comma Cheney stand back to back comma cock shotguns one last time <laughs> and it was. And, uh, yeah, sometimes you write a headline and I was just like praying for a graphic to go with it. Cause I wanted to right. see the graphic. <laughs> I had one about like, uh, 
the the Westminster finalists forming an elite Iditarod team. <laughs> and that was one that like I just wanted to see that picture yeah. and thankfully they made it for me and like <laughs> they sent me the original so I could have it for myself. That's awesome. So it was like what, like the little like toy dogs? Yeah, it was it was like uh, it was like a Pekingese and a standard poodle and a Siberian husky, just all and a, like a basset hound all together <laughs> pulling a sled. Basset hound, I think, is the most underrated dog. I'm a huge fan of the basset hound. Really, mm-hmm. they got a lot of health problems. They do, man. but so all the dogs have problems. Like uh, all those all cute the, dogs. The, yeah, yeah. That's another topic. That's that's sad. Can we, if we want to move on to dog talk, I am 100% willing to do that. Uh, no. Ah, all right. Uh, I'm going to start my own podcast about dogs, and you can come on. Great. I'll talk about the Basset Hound. Great. Um, so you did the humor books. What yeah. gave you the idea to start uh, doing that? So originally, this is how long ago it was, The Secret was a really big thing, mm-hmm. and Joe and I had this idea just like, bullshitting on uh, AOL Messenger or uh, one day about doing a parody of it. Um, and we wrote, like, and we got hooked up with a book agent and um, we wrote this sample chapter that I think is still, like, one of the funniest things I've ever written. And um, and we went out with it and at in the same week, like, every publisher in town was given uh, was uh, got a got a submission for a secret parody book on their desks. <laughs> um, so like it died very quickly. I see. But I think one of the publishers was kind of interested in doing something with us, and eventually we. Uh, I think I'm remembering that right, and eventually we um, came upon. The, the Dangerous Book for Boys, which became a really big bestseller, and we did The Dangerous Book for Dogs. Oh. Uh, yeah. I was really, for those of you at home, <laughs> I was pointing at Alan. Didn't make a difference. No, didn't, didn't, um, didn't make it. Um, yeah, and that sold really well. And yeah. then we were, and then Random House was like... Do a cat one now. Yeah. And we said, all right, you know, the check cleared. Um, but it was a lot of fun to write. And we wrote it with a, a couple of us, um, a group of us. That was a lot of fun. And we turned them around quick and paid my rent mm-hmm. for a long time. When you're writing like a humor book, mm-hmm. how is it? It's like obviously prose writing, but how is it different from like what, like doing The Onion? I guess it's not um, journalism. This kind of helps you No, out. so these were all like nonfiction humor parody it's a very like narrow category um it was just like pumping out ideas i mean it is more akin to like writing an onion article than it was writing a novel or anything like that um Uh, but it was sort of early days there wasn't really like google docs or anything like that so we had to kind of come up with our own system for group writing when we were all (laughs) spread out all over the place and we had like three months to write the book so how do you balance working like a a job with doing like the the books like on the side uh well i don't do books on the side anymore yeah um i got like like all my book days i ended up writing one solo book 
Um, and I finished. I was due. It was uh, yeah. Um, it was due to the publisher like two weeks after I started at Colbert Report. <laughs> So I, uh, I've only really ever had an overlap of two weeks where I was oh, wow. writing a book and had a full-time mm-hmm. uh, job. So I don't know. <laughs> so you were, you were writing the books? That was like the, the thing you were doing? Yeah, that was, that kept, I mean, that, they, it was sort of the last days of publishers giving really healthy right. advances to writers. Um, but yeah, like it started dropping precipitously <laughs> after that, the size of the advances. Actually, I just realized, no, I was writing one of the books while I was on staff at Dimitri Martin's uh, sketch show. So I don't remember how I did that. I probably just <laughs> didn't sleep. I was much younger, so I could have pulled that off. How fast would the process be from like uh, your book's been like approved to like finishing the book? For the first one, we had, uh, it was like, Random House was just like, we need to get this out now, (laughs) like, write it now, Um, because the Dangerous Book for Boys was so hot at the the time, and I think it was like 90 days from pitch to publishing. Wow. Like, they just absolutely ramrodded it through the process, um... That's not normal at all. Like, normally it's, like, years. Um, so we were just, like, furiously writing. that. So the process is write really fast and a lot. Was that the same for all the books? No, we got a little bit more time on the other mm-hmm. ones. Um, it's so funny that we're talking about, like, the book part of my life because it was such, like, a distant yeah, yeah, part yeah. of my career. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, going down memory lane. Last book question. Yeah. Uh, what, do you, what do you think are the, are, the, are the hallmarks of like a good humor book? I don't know. I mean, the nonfiction humor books I've written, they're, um, I think, trying to come up with like a premise that can sustain itself. That seems obvious, but I feel like so many uh, nonfiction humor books were like, well, that was a good idea for a three-minute sketch, mm. but now you're trying to apply that to a much longer form um, of writing. You know, there's part of it where it's like, you can't be afraid pacing-wise to let some stuff breathe, but like, it's, it's a much different muscle that you have to exercise because... You know, in TV writing and sketch writing or stuff like that, it's like joke, 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 mm-hmm. joke. And I feel like I'm doing something wrong if I'm writing a, a paragraph that, like, maybe it's got a line or two in there uh, that's funny, but it's not, you know, machine gun right. jokes. Um, but you just have to allow for that, I think, sometimes. It's about pacing. It's about feeling. I don't know if I knew what I was doing, to be <laughs> honest with you. I... I I wrote the words, and then somebody said, okay, we'll pay you for it. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, so after you were working at Important Things with Dimitri Martin, yeah, how did that come about? Uh, submitted. Yeah. And um, Dimitri was kind enough to have a sort of 
blind, maybe semi-blind submission packet for it and got in there. Uh, Were they just like normal sketches, what they asked for? Or did you try to write Dimitri's like stand-up voice? Man, I don't know. It was so far away uh, from now. (laughs) Um, I, I think there was a lot, there was a bunch of premises for sketches and then there was definitely some sketches that you you had to write um but there's no like stand-up or jokes in there which i'm very thankful for (laughs) because i am not a stand-up at all uh and that show was so uh clearly like in his voice yeah so was that hard to write for um i don't know if it was it was my first job in tv and um, I, I think I was still trying to figure it out and that staff in that first season that I was on was like a murderer's row and I don't know what the hell I was doing there. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I will not pretend that like I was getting stuff on every show and, and you know, there was only like 10 eight episodes, ten episodes, something like that. So there was not, like, a lot of real estate to go around anyway. But, um, yeah. it was, Yeah, I mean, you tried to think, like, okay, uh, based on Dimitri's stand-up, how can I kind of express that in sketch form? But uh, it was what you really realized so much in, that, in your first job in TV is how collaborative... Ideally, it should be, and that, like, you can come up with an idea, but it's going to go off and have a life of its own. Um, That wasn't a great answer to your question, (laughs) I feel like. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Dimitri's voice in sketch form, I I would say it was like, I don't know if if there was any kind of directive, it was just pitch a lot of ideas and you know the ones that get chosen are probably going to be the ones that are in his voice uh the mm-hmm. most yeah and uh you what would you what advice would you give to someone working their first tv job uh definitely that first thing about just yeah. understanding how collaborative it is and do not go in there with a sense of like wanting credit or ownership or anything like that um you're you're trying to just add grist for the mill and everything gets refined and um, everybody pitches in and if you're not okay with that, it's probably not the right medium for you. Um, and, you know, don't be too precious about things. At the end of the day, it becomes like a, um, a technical skill just as much as it is a, a creative job. So you have to be able to produce, and um, I feel like I'm giving you your worst interview. Editor. No, you're, you're I'm so great. bad at you're, this. No, you're doing great. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and and just like be be open, be open to suggestions, be open to improving. It sounds so cliche, but <clears throat> you know the concept of yes and is very important to like apply that to your work life in. In, in writing for TV. If you're writing a solo book, no yes and. It's just <laughs> whatever you want to do. Uh, and this was uh, one of the few shows you worked on that's not really satirical or political in nature. 
Yeah. Does your writing tend to be more that way in general in your personal writing? Or like... um, those are the jobs I get to um, hired more. Yeah. more. Uh, no, my personal writing ends up going completely different direction. Mm-hmm. But I think that's because my work life is as for like ten years now has been political mm-hmm. satire or, or uh, you know political comedy. So I just need to escape that um when i'm writing something different Mm -hmm. going off in totally different directions yeah and so after dimitri martin you worked at the colbert report Mm -hmm. how did that happen submitted and i think it was probably like it was i i got in an interview there really early on and didn't get the job and then they eventually hired me later uh like two packets later i think after that um, yeah, but the, <clears throat> how did you get, actually, <laughs> Dimitri told me this once, I remember this conversation, that people will always ask, like, how'd you get that? How'd yeah. you get that? <laughs> and, and more often than not, the case is like, I got hired. I don't know. I mean, there, there's not, uh, there's not anything too secret about the process. You know, I'm sure, you know, some people get hired because they're friends or, you know, or it's not always like nepotism or anything like that. It's just somebody who likes your work and likes you and so wants you around, mm-hmm. um, which is totally valid and fine. Like if I was, if I was staffing a show, I, I would probably want to mix too. Um, yeah, but in that case, it was just... I wrote a packet, and they said, you should work here. And I said, yes, okay. How do you approach writing a packet, especially for a show that, uh, like, for, like, a third packet that you haven't for, like, the same show? Um, Do better on your third (laughs) than your first. Uh, How do I... I mean, I, I always try to write packets, um... As if it was uh, a, the job for the day. Mm. So, um, be, because for me, I have to know personally, for my, I, I need to know for myself that I could actually do the job in real time. And packet writing is always like <clears throat> a terrible, I think proxy for the real experience it's like Mm. it's not a not proxy it's not a good stand-in for the real experience um but it's important to me to try to like replicate the experience as much as possible of it actually being your job for the day rather than like oh i get a week to write this this sketch packet or i i I get a week to write this like you know sample headline for the daily show um because you never get that in when you're actually at the show um and i just feel like i want to give myself the conditions that i might have to work under because i don't like going into a job i'm already gonna go into a job feeling like i don't know what the hell i'm doing (laughs) i want to like minimize that as much as possible um and then it's also with packet writing for me always a feeling of like do i am i enjoying writing this if you don't enjoy writing the packet, I guarantee you, you're not going to enjoy write, working at the job. Um, and if it doesn't come easy to you, um, 
you know, it's it it may not be a good fit because so much of it is like being successful is can you naturally slip into the voice of of the host, um, and if it's a struggle, like it's not a good fit for you, and that's okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's going to be other shows, especially now. There's going to be other shows. <laughs> yeah, so there's like 900 shows. Don't just wait. The the right Netflix show for you will come along. <laughs> uh, going back to what you said a second ago, uh, so you mentioned treating the packet as if it was a day on the job. Mm-hmm. Would you do most of your work for the packet in like one day and then kind of review it? Or um, it's a yeah, yeah. It depends on the show. It depends on mm-hmm. like what's going on in your week at yeah. that time too i mean sometimes you know circumstances just come up like what there was one packet once for a show i really wanted to write on and i got like a massive mocular mocular jesus uh i got this massive ocular migraine and it was just like well i'm not submitting to that show because i can't see the computer screen Mm -hmm. and uh you know stuff happens sometimes like so if conditions are right, yeah, like, I'll definitely try to do a pass and then another pass. And then maybe I have a trusted friend take a look at it. Um, but in general, I don't even love doing that. Um, just because I feel like I want to be... I want to be comfortable enough with my writing for it that if I get hired, I feel like, all right, they, they like what I do, not mm-hmm. with this random friend. Not, but, but using friends as sounding boards and stuff like that, totally important, valid. Do it if you feel comfortable mm-hmm. doing it. And you also mentioned writing for the, the, the voice of the host. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was the Stephen Colbert kind of blowhard conservative character. Yeah. How would you describe, like, writing for that voice? Yeah, it was sort of a math problem where, like, every line had a couple of layers to it. And, like, no line was just saying a joke. Because the joke had to work for... it. joke had to first deliver information, because it's news or a fact or something like that. It had to be in the voice of the character. And then it also uh, had to be funny, too. And then also the character was sometimes, not always, but uh, sometimes like saying the opposite, doing the satire thing, saying the opposite of what the intent of the joke is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was, uh, but it was fun. Um, Every, every, it was a challenge, but, um, but writing in a character, but still getting to do topical comedy was a real gift yeah it's great i loved every second of it there i'd imagine too it's just hard it's hard to like just keep being in that brain every day yeah but i think i think that's part of you know working at these jobs is can you Mm -hmm. just can you slip into into those moments um yeah i feel like i feel like maybe andy richter or something i heard him once say talk about packet writing or things like that and it's like if you can't if you can't just naturally write in the voice it's not again it's not the show for you because so much of it is um just like living in the voice of another person for you know like 60 hours a week um 
And if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Sometimes it's not a good fit. Doesn't mean you're not a great writer. Um, yeah. What was uh, the writing process like at that show? Um, it was, you know, your morning meeting with your with story pitches and then jokes. And every every shop I've worked at has been like a little bit different in how is it how it approaches pitches. Like some places, you know, you really want to like perform your pitch and um and at some places like just pitch over email and then some places <laughs> it's more like just um here's a pitch or here's the story everybody kind of shoot around your jokes about it um there it was a lot more like you you sort of came in with an outline for how you think a headline might go and it became sort of a performative experience um which i will totally admit to sucking at like it just wasn't quite me unfortunately yeah how involved was like uh colbert with with that stuff like very yeah 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 i mean i would say you know he was the editor-in-chief of the show and he was yeah. guiding everything and he's the best in the world at it uh so you were there when they did the the rally to restore sanity yeah i was i ended up getting married on that day oh whoa yeah so that was that was really funny. Uh, wow. Yeah, I was uh, I I was still kind of new to the show then. Um, not I'd been there a couple of months, but like I'd been there long enough that you know my the date for my wedding was already set. And then like he walked in into the meeting and and it was just like we're doing a rally and it's gonna be on. Uh, the date that it was, was it October October thirtieth. <laughs> I know my anniversary. Um, it was like we're doing it October thirtieth, and my head writer just looked at me, and I I just shook my head, and it was just like I mean I wrote jokes for it, mm-hmm. and it was kind of an amazing day to be like getting in my like ironing my suit in my apartment watching my jokes uh on on the national mall um that's a pretty awesome day and then going to my wedding for a second i thought you got married like there no (laughs) no there was a very brief like fantasy that i that i that that i indulged in and that like yeah we'll we'll move the whole wedding and then it was like no your grandmothers will murder you so that's not gonna work uh yeah but you know got to see it on tv got to contribute just didn't get to make the trip unfortunately what what was it like like writing for for that um you know it was chaotic because like um it was you know it's same as anything where like pitch some ideas okay we'll take that idea let's you know string it all together in script form but like we were also working with the daily show and then we were also navigating around like all these okay oh suddenly the roots are gonna play oh now kid rock is playing now cheryl crow's playing okay how are we gonna weave oh now cat stevens is gonna be there use <laughs> islam is gonna be there so like working around there were a lot of moving parts like i think for the staffers we were just like doing what we were asked to do and then people with higher pay grades were piecing all all of it together but yeah it was fun what was your favorite segment to write for uncle bear 
Um, I really love the thread down. Yeah. I loved writing those just because they always came with such a clear point of view of this horrible thing will will kill us all. Like <laughs> everything was ratcheted up to to ten all the time, and and so that was that was fun. Um, like because all the jokes were being filtered through this like yeah. very particular even for that character a very particular attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, Colbert had, had the best segments. I think. I agree. They're, yeah, they're, they're I so loved them. Distinct, unique, and, and really funny. Yeah. Um, and just as a writer, it helped so much to be like, not just reporting a story, not just, but, but like everything, the segments really helped put, uh, a very specific attitude on everything, mm. um, and a perspective. So like the jokes weren't just like set up punchline, uh, everything went through like a really clear, uh, sort of filter. It's interesting to think about now because I feel like there's been like a rise of like political shows that are like like the president show. Like they have the uh-huh. filter of the president. I think there's something else I can't remember. I was thinking about the other day. But it's interesting that uh, I think that the POV is getting more important or more unique maybe. Yeah. it. I mean some shows the, the POV – like there, I always think there's a difference between okay, you have your perspective and then you have your – comic perspective right and you know sometimes the sometimes you know like i think there's too much of an emphasis placed on i think the comic perspective is harder to do um but uh but yeah you you have to obviously have a pov mm-hmm. well when you say that do you mean like like for most of these shows, the perspective is kind of like a pretty, like just a very liberal, mm-hmm. and then the comic perspective is is different between the other shows. I don't know if it's always liberal. I always, I, I always, um, I bristle a little bit about mm-hmm. it because I, I feel like more than anything, the the perspective politically is, um common sense okay uh be and i say that because there are some shows that you've never heard of that are out there uh like yes obviously some people have heard of them but like there are some shows that are like hardcore left wing and they are to me not funny at all and there's a reason why like they're not on television or they're not on like a a channel you've ever heard of let me put it that way um because anytime you're too like authentically strident about some of this stuff i feel like you lose your comic perspective Mm. um if you're not able to like even just as a person, see another side of an argument and you're so blinded in one, like, political um, point of view, you, you're you just missing out on jokes right. by doing that. Um, and, and for the other side, like, if you've ever seen a explicitly conservative point of view comedy show it's 
not enjoyable. And it's not enjoyable because it's a conservative point of view. It's, it's, it, I don't say that because it's a conservative point of view. I say that because it is so blinded to a, a moderate position or common sense position or even a left-wing position. Like, mm-hmm. I don't like, I, I never get enjoyment about watching either strident side mm-hmm. um, for comedy. Uh, I heard a joke a while ago, but it's like conservative comedians, they're, they're not funny because they just get so angry in the middle of like the joke. But I'll totally... Is that for left-wing comedians too? A hundred percent. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, like, as a liberal person, I might like nod along, like, yes, you made a good point. I'm not laughing. Yeah. Though. Um... Yeah, when you're when you're writing jokes, are you, are you thinking of like, well, obviously everyone that's going to watch this is going to agree with it. Are you are you worried about like maybe getting more claps than laughs at times? Uh, you know when you're writing those jokes. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I, I don't particularly like writing those jokes because I they're not really jokes. It's like funny sounding statements. Um, but yeah, you know, as a writer after some experience, like, okay, I know the reaction this is going to get. And sometimes you're kind of boxed in because like you have, there, something happens and like, there is only one take on this and Mm -hmm. it's not particularly funny. You just have to get it out there. Like you can't, you look negligent if you ignore some insane thing that's really dark and you don't want to make light of it but you have to comment on it um but uh i lost the thread of the question (laughs) Uh, the the clapping jokes versus the laughing jokes (laughs) yeah stay away from the clapping jokes if you can you know they should be like they're they're as a if you're thinking, you know, recipe analogy, they're so overwhelming an ingredient that you just got to use them sparingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you were at Colbert uh, as it ended? No. Oh, you weren't? No, I left uh, about a year before. Oh, okay. Uh, so then you left a good last week tonight? Uh, yeah, I took a little uh, walkabout <laughs> year and then, yeah. and then went over to last week tonight when it, uh, when it got ramped up. Uh, oh, so you were there when it started. Mm-hmm. What was it like? Uh, what was the show like when you joined? Like, did, was it pretty clear that it was going to be the format it is today? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to get too much into that. Like, I, I just feel like every show, every show of these types, needs time to find itself a little bit, both in pre-production and once it gets started. Um, and because you can, you can have a million ideas about what something can be, but until you get it up on its feet in front of an audience and you're catering to an audience. So like if an audience isn't following you on with something that you're doing, you have to adapt. Um, and you just can't do that in the vacuum of pre-production. So what what was pre-production like? It was, you know, pitching ideas, pitching possibilities, pitching segments, 
and things like that. But ultimately, the real work doesn't, when you're starting the show, doesn't really begin until you're in the studio mm-hmm. and in front of an audience. So um, when you're doing those those segments, uh, how much research is like on you versus for Oliver? For Oliver, yeah. Uh, yeah, writers definitely like did a ton of research, and that is not to take away from the very incredible uh, research staff that he, that uh, Last Week Tonight has at all. But like, it, um, but writers were you know definitely doing their own research into a topic, and um, because we were looking at topics that weren't as um, patently obvious i guess they weren't like necessarily page one uh topics if you're gonna make jokes about it you have to understand it and um and so you you definitely spend some time uh, a lot of hours (laughs) reading into things and trying to just wrap your wrap your mind around it from a factual level before you moved on to the secondary comedic uh perspective uh it's interesting because like you start out you know as a comedian like doing comedy writing and then you get this you do this job where it's like a lot of like non-comedy writing discipline you know in terms of yeah what's what's that like i mean um what's it like it's it, it definitely took some getting used to um but you know, it makes for satisfying writing when it's finally on, up on its feet because you feel like you are doing something that's like very different, and 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 uh, and you're writing about things that nobody has ever written comedy about before, which is kind of an exciting, exhilarating feeling. Um, but there's a lot of legwork that goes into it first. Um, uh, in terms of topical jokes, last week tonight is a weekly show mm-hmm. that comes at the end of the week, so it's kind of like a lot of the the news has happened already for like because the first segment's usually pretty topical. Yeah. So, uh, how did you guys try to write for that when like a lot of takes have already come out? It depends on what year we're talking about. Yeah. Um, oh, right, because I'm sure, yeah, yeah, like eventually, once Trump was elected eventually you know our work week was wednesday through our work week is was uh wednesday through sunday and eventually it got to the point where it's like yeah we're here on wednesday but you know like an atom bomb would have to go off on wednesday for us to still be talking about it on on sunday um and who knows maybe the guys there will still get that opportunity <laughs> but um but in general it's just like Yes, this insane thing on Wednesday happened, and it will be, a, you know, a glimmer in the eye of history by the time Sunday comes around. So that definitely changed things. I mean, we looked a lot, especially in the the first couple of seasons. Um, we were looking a lot at uh, we were looking in the pages of you know the international section a lot more. <clears throat> and they're like, oh, this election in Bolivia, like, you can safely say, like, 
on Wednesday. Well, nobody's going to be really we're no nobody's going to be stealing our jokes about the <laughs> Bolivian election by Sunday, so we could write about that pretty safely early on. Um, but yeah, definitely as news became more uh, demanding, we just had to wait wait our turn basically. And and you know if things were taken earlier in the week by other shows that's fine we'll get our shot Mm -hmm. and then sometimes it it sort of has become a thing where especially with the weekly shows everybody gets like their real estate now in the week like their days oh right yeah um so even to the point where it was like, oh, if something happened on Friday night, haha, that's ours. Mm-hmm. Like we we get that st- story. And if something happened on Monday, we're not touching it. But mm-hmm. like maybe Sam B gets that one. Um, <clears throat> and even at the Daily Show now, I feel like well, we're not on on Fridays. And if something happens on Friday, like. Maybe it'll still be around by Monday, mm-hmm. but something else is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so you, you've written for one American host, two non-American hosts. Is there any difference, or is that just like the same thing? I just thought that would be interesting, actually. I don't know. I was I, I'm thinking about that earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had a nice uh, diversity of... Uh, guys to write for and I do mean guys and <laughs> one day I'm going to write for a female host <laughs> I really want that's not even a joke I want to mm-hmm. um, but uh, but uh, yeah I I was thinking I don't know because yes Stephen was uh, American but he was also the American mm-hmm. you know right. and um, and that puts it in a whole different Category. I don't think uh, region played as much into how I would sort of change my writing as much as uh, their experiences. And obviously, like, region has more to do with that. But, like, you know, writing for Trevor, he comes at his perspective um, because of, you know, very specific life experience in addition to just being a balls out funny guy um and same thing for oliver and same thing for colbert like they um but it's more about like their individual lives um and that formed their perspective rather than like their accent you're right right and it's interesting because colbert obviously american and he's been like doing political humor for a while Mm mm-hmm uh, John Oliver had like been in America for a while when he had the show, yeah. And then Trevor Noah was kind of new to America, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think it um, it kind of brings a nice, you know, it's like we were saying about how there's so many shows, and we're all covering the same news now, mm-hmm. and like. In a, in a way that you have to because the news is just so insane that like you look negligent if you don't comment on it um, but the thing that's different is what perspective they bring to it um, yeah mm-hmm. and so now you're working at the the daily show yeah 
Uh, did you do a packet for that job? I did. Yeah. It was a it was a bit of a rush job, but yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I did it, and uh, and I had a lot of fun writing it, and and I'm getting to do things that I haven't been able to do before, like the Daily Show. What things I love about writing there now is the sort of diversity of writing experiences you get to have, which is not as typical for other shows. Not that. The other shows are fun, and it's fun to write for these guys all the time. But the Daily Show, you get to um, like write for correspondence to mm. and different voices, and then you know occasionally you'll get, you'll get to write sketches and things like that. Things that kind of like break up your your writing life a little yeah. in a way that I think is really very healthy and good. It's interesting. I never thought about that, but it really is. Like, there's so much you different to, ways to yeah, do stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, for the correspondence stuff, are you do you do much writing for like when they go off somewhere? Uh, you sort of like contribute yeah. uh, to the ideas, but like field producers, the, I don't want to say. So I've only been there for a little bit, yeah. so I'm still learning myself yeah, yeah. a little bit the process there. Um, you know, the field department's awesome, and they, uh, you know, like take the lead on a lot of those pieces but then writers will come in and contribute ideas and jokes and things like that mm -hmm. yeah uh what's it like starting a new job um it's exciting it's fun to meet new people like leaving these jobs <clears throat> you know i've been fortunate that i've only i've been writing straight through for like 10 years now something like that which is a, a gift but like the uh what you realize whenever you leave a show is you don't miss the work as much as like you miss the people um because you're spending so much time in like very often windowless offices with them um so but starting a new job is always fun just getting getting your feet under you a little bit learning the process getting to contribute and i feel like it's always welcome when like new voices come in because mm -hmm. um, it reminds you especially if you've been there for a while like oh yeah this is an awesome job that that everybody want that a lot of people would love to have mm -hmm. and and uh, new people coming in kind of like invigorates you a little bit for some people. <laughs> some people get like incredibly threatened by the new writer and and uh, nobody 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 I've ever worked with though. I've just heard that. Uh, do you find it easy to like, kind of slot into the writer's room and contribute pretty quickly or depends on the writer's room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you um yeah, like hopefully like what I was saying about if you naturally if you feel yourself like naturally writing a packet for the voice of this show, that's a good sign and like, and sort of sliding into a new writer's room. It's the same thing. Like hopefully your bosses have sort of assembled a room that works well together. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they're doing their job, um, yeah, that's the outcome. How often are you writing for the show that's about to air and then are for something in the future? Uh, yeah, it's a big mix, which is what I love about it, because uh, 
I do love the rush of you have an hour to write this script and it's going to be on the air that night and there's just something so satisfying that you know I'll never get over the enjoyment of just the the immediate gratification of late night yeah. is great like I write it and it's on the air and then you go home and have dinner um, I'm sure you, you too like you remember like I woke up today something happened I heard this great joke it got on air and you're watching it at home it's like it's kind of awesome oh god I would never watch it at home yeah <laughs> no, no 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 that's I, I can't imagine yeah. I, I've never it's not because I don't love the shows I write for I love them to the ends of the mm-hmm. earth but like the idea of <laughs> working all day on a show knowing exactly yeah, yeah. how it <laughs> played <laughs> And then coming home and then spending, um, like, another half hour of your life watching the thing you've worked on mm-hmm. all day. I just, I can't imagine You've certainly that. done it once or twice before. Oh, I've definitely, like, oh, I wonder how the audience liked that joke and yeah. taking a look or something like that. But, um, yeah, it's, I definitely don't make it a habit of, right. of, of that. But that's also just, you know, as you move on. With your life and more people into your life <laughs> by way of family and things like that, and your responsibilities change, and uh, and you know there's a, there's a lot of good TV that I I would rather watch than <laughs> something where I know the outcome of right, it right. already. Um, yeah, so so it's a mix uh, of some days you'll be working on stuff for that show that day, and then sometimes you'll be working on a longer term project uh where you get to you know you don't get the adrenaline uh of the day of script but you do get to exercise the like muscle of oh i can i can be so precious with this joke and really take my time to refine it into this and polish it into this beautiful thing that never ends up on the air anyway but that's okay uh what's the difference of doing like handling a topical joke for a weekly show versus a daily show? Um, so much of it is dependent on the story that you're writing on. Um, what's the difference? There's not a huge difference mm-hmm. with the weekly show. The, the main difference is like, well, I hope I don't see this exact same joke on Twitter right, <laughs> in right. the next 48 hours. Uh, because then, you know, I, I myself will like very vocally, uh, ask for it to be taken out because, uh, you know, I'm sure I'm not the first person on your podcast to say that like Twitter is an absolute menace (laughs) to, to work, working comedy writers, but you know, be better, be better. There's always another joke. There's always there's no joke that's not beatable. So just like keep beating it and come up with something original. But let's say like a, like a Trump story breaks at like one p.m. Oh my god, that's a gift. One yeah. one p.m. is a gift. Yeah, it's it's the uh, it's the five p.m. just before we're about to tape. Mm-hmm. That that's the nightmare. But I you know I. I've never liked a Trump story that yeah. breaks at 5 p.m., but it is always kind of exhilarating to be like, let's do it. Let's uh, let's get in a room and let's, let's figure it out. And, uh, yeah, and let's also, you know, try to have an original take that, we're, mm-hmm. that we hope won't be 
picked over by by Twitter yeah. um, in the next like two hours. I mean, how often do you have to like just throw out like an act and have to like start over? Um, it's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been there long enough at that show mm-hmm. to know uh, how frequent. But like nobody panics yeah. when it happens. It's just like let's have great. We get to talk about this new thing, um, and and hopefully it improves the episode. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a if we have an episode that's just you know fire and some late breaking story happens, if we don't if if we don't have the jokes that could that could beat what's already existing, let's go with the better jokes. Mm. Um, you know the story's gonna this breaking story is still gonna be there tomorrow, and eventually you like you have to remind yourself we are a comedy show. We are not a new show. Like it's been said now for twenty years, but if you're watching these shows to get your news, you are that is a problem. <laughs> like do not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I there's not the responsibility from like a news perspective that we have to address something. We can take a breath and you know make sure we have the best jokes on it the next day. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, how do you handle, like, Trump when you're doing political comedy? Like, how do you handle writing about him every day? I don't know. (laughs) We're all, I like, not just our, not just Daily Show, not just Oliver, not just, but, like, all of us uh, in Late Night right now are all trying to, it's a constant process of trying to figure out what the hell is going on and, and how we address it. Um, and I think, you know, to some extent... There was, uh, there, there's no, there's not really a rule book for it, um, in terms of how to address it. We're all just figuring it out on the fly, and we have to continue figuring it out on the fly because everything just keeps getting ratcheted up further and further and further. Um, you know, I'm not one of those people that's going to say like, "There's never been anything else." Like this, like you know, my folks, when this happened, I was just, you know, utterly beside myself and like lost a ton of like weight in a night. Um, um, but, you know, my folks were like, yeah, this is what it felt like with Nixon. This is like that. Yeah, we all thought the world was going to end. And that's not to take away from the feeling <laughs> Like, I still think the world's going to end really soon, but, um, but, you know, like, it's important to remember there's been, there have been terrible, terrible times before and people made light of it. And so like, you need, you know, people in our profession made light of it and it's important to like, keep that going. Mm -hmm. Like, make sure you're laughing, make sure you're making jokes. Because, like, the real big danger in all this to me is when suddenly you're not allowed to make jokes for some reason, that's when you know, like, shit's going down. You mean, like, if, like, Trump, like, somehow, like, banned jokes or something? 
Does that seem like no? It doesn't far yeah. from a possibility. I mean, like even this morning, he tweeted about Alec Baldwin again. Exactly. For, for like out of, out of the blue, out I, of like I, nowhere. I think like five a.m. Yeah, too. SNL hasn't been on in weeks. I think too. Like it makes no sense that he's like randomly <laughs> watching like, old episodes. <laughs> yeah, or something. Uh, it's just, oh man, yeah. You got to take away the Hulu account. <laughs> um, yeah, you can't let him watch archive stuff anymore. Um, yeah, it's it's. Yeah, I I don't see it as like so far fetched an idea. Yeah. Um, that that in some weird way. Uh, you know, the hammer starts coming down. I hope. I don't. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. It's interesting too because you've been writing on these shows uh, for almost like ten years. So, yeah. h- how how has your job changed since like Trump's been? Um, I definitely feel like more personally mm-hmm. invested in it in a way that, um, yeah. How do I how, let me take this back a little? How has it changed? You know, the day in day out like work of writing a joke hasn't changed that much. Um, there's just a greater darkness to it all, <laughs> like, um, and it definitely like career wise kind of refreshed things a little bit because it doesn't feel like I'm writing um it's it doesn't feel like I'm writing um I I sorry it doesn't feel like I'm uh writing jokes through a machine as much right now like the my my approach to it's interesting like Colbert I feel like Maybe I do have some experience writing for this way because as writing for Colbert, Obama was like the great menace. So I kind of have that attitude, but it's weird to be like writing jokes from a genuine perspective now where you feel like the guy in charge um, is could could make the whole the whole damn thing crumble around us. so I guess that's the difference. Yeah. It's just feeling like, oh, our lives are in jeopardy. That's <laughs> terrible. Um, yeah, but you know, just the just the act of writing a joke, I feel like doesn't change mm-hmm. that much. What would you like to be doing next? I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd like to be at the Daily Show for a while. Yeah. I like it a lot there. Um, good people. Good fun. Um, yeah, I I did a short film, and uh, maybe if I could figure out a way to keep doing that, um, it's it's hard as hell to do. Uh, you gotta gotta move heaven and earth to to get some of these done. Um, but that was fun, and it kind of changed it up. Um, you know, you're always working on. I feel like I work on outside projects now just to, like, it, it becomes fun to to keep 
writing, as long as you're doing writing that is wholly different. I'm working on a sort of writing a novel now, but that makes it sound like I actually like have a book deal or something. It's just like a project to keep me occupied. Um, um, yeah, but uh, right now, just in, enjoying being at the Daily Show and and um, man, I'm so bad. I'm, this is why I don't do podcasts. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Keep keep trying to find some new ideas out there just to work on, but just to keep the brain active. Yeah. Not I'm not necessarily uh, shopping anything at the moment. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we're going to wrap up um, with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. Okay. Um, so it's a courtroom, and uh, the jury, instead of defi- finding the defendant guilty or not guilty, they find him to be cool as hell. So the jury's like, we, we the jury find the defendant cool as hell. Uh-huh. So that's like, <laughs> that's it. Is that where the, the sketch starts? I guess that's where, where it starts, and it's kind of an, an yeah. I feel like I need to know so much more yeah, about yeah, yeah. this. So I yeah. think I might. It might be like a blackout sketch where it's like, oh, okay, um, like the prosecutor, or I guess it's the, the judge. I forget who like lists the the charges. Yeah, the judge lists the yeah, charges, and so it's like on the this count of yeah murder in the first degree. How do you find? And then the jury says, "We find the defendant cool as hell." Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of that is going to depend on your production. What production value you put? Oh, in production value. Thing. I mean, Wait, let's talk uh, costumes. <laughs> uh, is this on the stage? Is this? It, it, is it'd, this be, it'd be a television? stage. It'd be stage. It'd be probably. Stage. It'd be a good stage. Yeah. Uh, good stage blackout. I like it. Yeah. It depends on what the charges are too. So, I, so it'd be something like. I'm totally nitpicking. Yeah, no, it's a good. Three it's good. light sketch, and I'm so sorry. No, dude. it's good. It, I guess it'd be something like uh, you stole a like Toyota Mustang. There we go with the leather jacket. That's what yeah. I wanted to hear. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, now I think that works. Yeah, okay, that's good. I think so much of it is like outlining the charges, right. and making them sound so like irresistibly awesome mm-hmm. that there is only one natural comic endpoint, and it is not guilty. Yeah. It is not. Uh, not guilty mm-hmm. it is cool as hell yeah yeah so you, so i think the work there is in making sure the setup is structured enough that the payoff right lands and i think it has to be a blackout i don't know if there's much else yeah together i think it has to be a blackout but i think it's a solid black yeah i think yeah. it's fun yeah it's a lot of fun uh cool anything you want to plug uh the daily show i don't know if people have heard of it <laughs> uh but I think they should check it out. I think it's really funny. I really think um, where I think Trevor brings that I such an interesting, unique perspective uh, to the news, and that's also just really funny. And uh, yeah, I think uh, people should should give that that old institution uh, should, should keep watching it. All right. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. Watch The Daily Show. <laughs> and then listen to On Comedy Writing. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. 
I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.